Hello, I'm Andrew Harrison. Welcome to another edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsville podcast with me and Andy Mayer. Hello, Andy. How are you doing? I'm really good. Good. I'm glad somebody is. <laughs> Where are you at the minute? I've just got back. I'm back in the office. I've just been down visiting my daughter at Bath University, where she's been now for about three weeks. I, well, I've visited her before she probably goes into the inve- inevitable lockdown. Yeah, so you have to wave her through a window. There's a lot of it about. My, my niece is doing the same thing. So the idea for this podcast is that we update you on things in the world of money that concern the average investor, the person in the street. And this time around, we thought we'd do a three-quarter time report, but like halfway through the second half of a football match. And it looks like we're going into what's promised to be a bit of a dark autumn. We're told to brace ourselves for redundancies as the furlough scheme ends. The Resolution Foundation says youth unemployment could be triple 80s levels and the hospitality and entertainment sectors are on the verge of extinction. So So Rishi Sunak launched a winter economic plan at the Conservative conference with a six-month-long job support scheme where the government's going to support wages. And meanwhile, Boris Johnson announced that Britain would become the Saudi Arabia of wind power and the New Jerusalem at the same time. So Andy, firstly, what did you make of Rishi Sunak's moves on this front? I think what we're doing at the moment is pushing the goalposts just down the river a little bit. At the end of the day, when you look at the hospitality industry, and I'm sharing office on the downstairs with two lads who work in travel and they're just on their knees, literally. So I think we're just pushing another problem down the road for six months. So what does it mean for investors then? Because, I mean, obviously the government has spent a fortune over the summer and the bills are not even beginning to come in. And now it's essentially recognising that it's going to be in the job support business for a very, very long time. What does it mean for, for the likes of us who are kind of investing for pensions and retirement and things like that? Well, when you look at some of the industries, if you look at most company pension schemes, so if you're a member of a company pension scheme, you outsource that to Legal and General, Scottish Widows, Aviva, and a lot of those companies have got massive exposure to commercial property. Despite what Sunex's trying to do, if commercial property, if Twitter is saying to their staff, don't come in for a year, at least, yeah. and the RSC round here has laid 158 people off, those commercial properties are not going to be deriding the rents that they were. And when Sunex is saying to people, where you can get a rent break, that's going to affect people's pensions in payment if they're in drawdown, and it's going to affect people's growth when they're looking to retire. So what what does this mean for the public finances in the UK then? Because several times on this podcast, we've mentioned tax rises are being being gently flagged. It's going to happen at some point. Kind of historically speaking, what what sort of states are our public finances in at the moment? Are we looking at end of Second World War or mid-1980s or what? I think there was a great piece that said the UK's debt is equivalent to what Apple is worth, which is quite frightening. I I don't understand how we get out of this economic debt when you've got airline industry going to the wall, hospitality, and we're trying to support various sectors. And I think this is going to lead to capital gains tax going up. I think capital gains tax will, at the moment, it's got two levels, 18 and 28%. And I think it'll go up to what income tax is, maybe 20 and 40. But he has to be really careful. If he starts taxing people at £16,000 and increases their tax, he needs them to go out and spend the money. And they're not really, he's not really in a position where he can cut VAT because it's not so much a price issue that's holding back spending. It's the fact that you know there's no there's no footfall and there's fear of spending money at all. So I think what we're, we're forgetting here is that there are a large section of society who are genuinely frightened and don't want to go back out. There's people who don't want to go back to work, people who don't want to go back on the tube, people who don't want to drive anymore. And whilst this working from home might work in some industries, in other industries it's not helping. 
But you look at that, like you're saying about prep, it's the people who make the mayonnaise for the sandwiches, the people who cut the sandwiches, the people who supply the grain. So the whole infrastructure has to be looked at across the whole economic framework because at the moment it appears to me you can offer support for six months, but there's been large sections of the population left behind. You probably haven't looked at this, Andy, because, you know, you're a self-employed gentleman uh, running financial advice. But did you see Rishi Su- <laughs> Did you see the government's uh, retraining advice questionnaire, which has become a bit of a bit of a figure of fun this week? You've, you answer about 100 questions and it tells you what to do. And the answers, the re- recommendations is giving a bizarre. People are being told to become uh, either a boxer or a cake maker, <laughs> which I thought was kind of slightly contradictory. <laughs> and uh, my wife was instructed to go work in the circus. But... What I'm struggling to understand is where are these jobs coming from? Because at the end of the day, we've, we're losing massive sections of people. And I think when you look at the underlying stats, the Spanish flu killed 2.8% of the world population. At the moment, Peru has the worst death toll of 0.1% of its population, whereas the rest of the world is about 001 And I think there's generally, when you look at some of the lockdowns, which are pretty severe in places like Australia, there's people now starting to question, not this government, all government's wisdom in continuing a lockdown that whilst it may save some lives through COVID, it will probably cause death and long-term suffering for economic reasons. The FTSE, as we said at the top of the podcast, we're three quarters of the way through the year. The FTSE is now where it was in May or in February 2016. Those are the two that it, yeah. it's at the that's the last two times it was at this level. So essentially, all growth in four years. If you're treating the FTSE as the economy, which of course it isn't, mm. we keep saying to ourselves, "Don't just look at the FTSE." You know what is the meaning of that? I mean, on the one hand, we've lost four years worth of growth. On the other hand, what we've lost since basically the mid part of the of the COVID crisis has been regained. So is it is it a good picture or a bad picture? It's a bad picture if you're coming up to retirement at the moment because you could have had something that was worth 300,000 that's now worth 270. And that reality means that that money has to grow when you're taking income from it. It can hurt you. And it has been a painful ride, especially in the UK where we've got a big reliance on energy stocks, a big reliance on the, the financial companies. And we've seen hospitality companies and travel really struggle. So when you look at the FTSE being around down 20% year on date, it's been pretty drastic and it has hurt investors. But thankfully, by diversifying, it helps reduce your risk. But it hasn't been plain sailing for people with money in the markets, but for people who are buying in, it's an absolute great time. Now, other, what do you think of the fundamentals there? Because obviously many of us, through the various funds that we that we use, we're, we're, we're in American stocks as well. Is, is it is this a surface bubble thing? And and if it's based on stuff like Netflix and Apple, you know, home delivery technology, home streaming technology, you know, Amazon, stuff that's all about essentially kind of opposed to the high street. Are, if these stocks are growing, does it re- represent true health of the economy or, or, or value being skimmed off to these tech and home delivery giants? I think when you look at what Bezos has made through the crisis with Amazon, you do realise that there's an awful lot of personal gain on some of these stocks for very, very rich people. But I think what we're looking at, there are some fundamental issues in the American economy. We've got the election coming up shortly. Potentially, you get a change of president and that will affect it in some ways. 
But the markets, the American stock market, like Trump because he deregulates it. He lets them really pretty much get on with what he wants to do, where Biden will take in a slightly different approach. But there are still some fundamental issues in American markets, although it looks down about 2% year on date. And in some ways, it's actually up if you take currency fluctuations in. A lot of it is based on the fact that it's Trump throwing helicopter payments in. The tech company is going really well. So the American market at the moment to me is slightly overpriced as a general market, but there are areas to invest in that do do well. But the American market is overpriced in my opinion. Trump says he's going to end any recovery talks with the Democrats until after I've won, <laughs> which is okay. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a point of view. Do you think that the market has priced in that the chance or likelihood of a change of president because he's lagging at levels we haven't, you know, that far greater, for instance, than he was behind Hillary Clinton? The, the victory over Hillary Clinton was was well within the margin of error. This looks like it isn't within the margin of error. I think Biden's learned from Clinton's mistake. When Clinton was campaigning, she was very, very heavily on trying to re-regulate their healthcare system, which I think would be a very good thing to do. Biden's learned from that because the healthcare generates an awful lot of wealth for pension funds, investors. And I don't think the healthcare sector will get regulated. And I think Biden has come more to the centre than probably Clinton did. And he's less radical in terms of some of the social justice things he'll want to do. So I think people who are running businesses don't feel as threatened as they did under Clinton. So I suspect the market won't react as badly to a Biden victory as it would have to a Hillary Clinton victory. Work and retirement and careers have all been overturned by by, by the virus and the shutdown th- this year. Specifically for people who are nearing or have got retirement on the horizon, are we going to need a bigger pot? I mean, should we be, be putting more in or are we going to need to retire later? Is, it, is this going to mean a fundamental change to what retirement is? I think... One of the greatest speakers I ever heard was a guy called Tom Hegner, and he talked about retirement and about a hybrid where you really go from five days to four to four to three, and in your 60s, you see how you're coping with. COVID's also made people realise that they not necessarily need as much as they think, because if you're not going to change a pair of shoes every three months, you're not going into London, you're not eating out three nights a week, then actually what people need is often less. So I think people will have to reappraise what they want and what they need. But I think a lot of people are doing that. And I think for people who are coming up to retirement, it is a time to look and plan and maybe put a year's money in cash. But also people have now realised, I think a lot of people are going, I don't want to do A, I'd like to have B. And that can be a much cheaper option because the how, I mean, I know for a lot of people, their biggest expense during COVID has been getting wine and beer into the house on takeaways. So, yes. <laughs> which when you looked at it, Majestic's, tur- uh, I think shares went up 200% within two months. No, not the share price. Sorry, their turnover went up 200% in the first two months of COVID. A 21 year old who's going into the world of work now, possibly going into a very scarce jobs market. When are they going to retire? Are they going to be able to retire? <laughs> I think if a, if a 21-year-old is going into the jobs market, first of all, congratulations, you've got a job. I think when they'll be looking to retire, I think state pension age, not just because of COVID, will need to move to 70 because of longevity figures. Or we have to fundamentally change and say to people, 
you only work four days. But I think state pension age has to go to 70 because if the average age, I think, is 84 and 86 in this country for male and female, the state pension can't cope with people at 66 drawing on it for 20 years unless we fundamentally change how that's planned. And let's face it, the state pension is people who are retiring now, their money was never invested. It's the people who are working who are paying for it. And it's a very, very strange system, the way it was planned and the way it works. So does this mean that people should start planning differently for their kids in the, you know, in the, in the understanding that, you know, state provision and uh, for retirement is going to be later and it's going to be certainly not enough to live a comfortable life on that. We, we're going to have to start rather than people planning for their own retirement. They're going to have to start planning for what they're going to hand on to kids who are not going to be provided for in the state sector. Absolutely. If I look at my daughter who started university at 18, whether she'll get a job when she comes out, we don't know. But for Molly to look at being able to have some flexibility on retirement, whether I can save £10 a month, £100 a month or £1,000 a month is irrelevant. It's about starting something for her, which I've done as she's hit 18 into an individual uh, savings account because it will give 30, 40 years of growth. And it's that old adage that I use all the time. It's about time in the market. And if you've got a child, whether they're 2, 12, 20, and you've got some spare savings that you can invest for them on a monthly basis, it will make a profound impact on their future as they get older. Mm-hmm. So I need a time machine then. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Don't we well, all at the moment? Absolutely. Yeah. So buy, buy TARDISes. Everybody buy TARDISes. Finally, though, there is a bit of good news, which is that the housing market is back, back, back. UK mortgage applications are at 12-year high. Uh, average house prices went up about 7%, I think. Why is this happening now? Is it just is it just pent-up demand from over the summer? I think it's a stamp duty holiday, number one. I think people have made a decision that they might not want to have a flat in London. They might want to move out to the suburbs. I think people who are in flats now have decided they want gardens. The, the stamp duty holiday has made a massive impact, but there was a very interesting article in the Financial Times about six weeks ago saying that they believe when furlough ends and Sunex support ends and the, the unemployment rate hits 10%, that this boom will suddenly be followed by a big bust in terms of how prices are manufactured. And so at the moment, I think when people are buying a house, what our advice is, right, if you're saving the money on the stamp duty, bearing in mind that in 2021, you could see your house price drop. But it's like any investment. If you're buying it now and you look at your house and go, well, I'm going to have it as a 10-year home, that's fine if you're looking to make quick money you might catch a cold right do you think people will be at risk of, of what we saw in the early 90s where they they bought overpriced houses and found themselves in, in negative equity as, as uh you know prices plummet interestingly and very interestingly what we've now seen is lenders pull back from 95 percent, 90 percent to 15 percent deposits and some lenders are looking at 20 Valuers have also this week, we've had a couple of people saying they've had their house down valued by some three to five percent because valuers are going to look after their own jobs and go, if we get a crash next year and this house has to be repossessed, can I get my lender's money back? So I think there's an awful lot of people. This boom is great, but I think there's an awful lot of realism with the banks that it's not real boom. It's a short term boom. Now, if Sunex suspends stamp duty for another year, I think house prices will continue to rise. 
So it's not necessarily a good time to move house. I think if you look at it as a long-term plan and you're stuck in a house that you've been stuck in over COVID and it's not got any room to exercise, I think you will take the pain of any downturn next year. Because again, if you look at, if you don't, I mean, your home's not an asset, it's where you live. But if you're going to buy a house in 2020 and sell it in 2030 to move on, you'll make money on it. But if you're looking to buy a house now, I think you can move it on next year with a profit. You might be very, very lucky. And so I think to me, when you buy a house, it's the same considerations as the area where you want to live. Why are you buying it? Has it got the features that you want? And if that's it, then I, I think get on with it. But I think there is, will definitely be next year, some downturn unless Sunek produces another piece of magic paid by the corporate finances. Well, I think I'll stay put for the minute on that advice. <laughs> I am. <laughs> good, good, good move. So that's the end of another edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brown Soul podcast. We hope we found, you found it useful and instructive. We'll be back soon with what you need to know about how the world of money affects you. You can get us on Apple Podcasts uh, so that you can listen on your phone easily. Do subscribe so you won't miss an edition when it pops up. Andy, good talking to you. What are you going to do now? What's your plans? I'm actually going to go and have a well-earned pint. After seeing my daughter, it was quite emotional. So I'm going to go and have a pint of Guinness and celebrate that we're all fit and healthy and look forward to the last quarter of the year with Brexit, with an American election and enjoy my night because the next quarter could be one of the most fascinating quarters we've been through. That word fascinating is a lot of heavy lifting there. Go and have your pint and make sure you're done by 10 o'clock because otherwise <laughs> you'll be in trouble. Andy, good to talk to you, mate. I knew Andrew as always. Bye. Bye-bye. See you next time. <laughs>